You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 675 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is late into the night here. Tuesday into Wednesday morning, and if you uh, were paying any attention at all to the Hawks this evening, you would know that it was a wild one in Miami. Plenty to discuss on the podcast. Um, I will take you behind the curtain for a second and say that I was going to spend 10, 15 minutes, like most of, maybe not most of the podcast, probably half the podcast on the report from Sean Serrania on Monday. I might do that a little bit later on the podcast, but uh, the game was so crazy that I'm going to have to spend most of the podcast, if not all of it, on what transpired in Miami, uh, there is plenty to get to here. The top line thought being that the Hawks fell by a final score of 135 to 121 in overtime. Um, a pretty maddening performance in some respects down the stretch, of course, for the Hawks in this game. Um, I will say at the top, this is a good game from the Hawks for about the first 47 minutes. Uh, and from that point forward, it flew off the rails in a hurry. I do want to at least stress that there were some positives to take away from this game. Um, I am not the Sunshine and Rainbows guy. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you will know that I am not someone who is overly positive about everything. But I will tell you that it was not all negative in this game. I will criticize later on, though. I promise. There was some uh, pretty, you know, I I would say warranted upset um, reactions after the game from the fan base, you know, as always, some people took it, took it too far. And I totally get that. The frustrations in the moment were very real and the execution down the stretch of the, of the, of the fourth quarter and all of overtime was uh, really ugly, really frustrating and uh, noteworthy to talk about for sure. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you took the heat to overtime and again, you weren't supposed to take, to take them to overtime and win. Um, uh, should the Hawks have won this game at the end? Yes. They're up there. When you're up six with a minute to go, you should win. Um, that's not, breaking news, but it's just worth saying right now they should have won this game. Um, overtime got out of hand in a hurry, and we'll talk about that later on. As always, though, I'll have to go through the entire game, so we will start at the top of the game. I'll, I'll try to fly through a little bit of what transpired before we get to the fourth quarter and beyond, because there is so much to discuss about this contest. So, in the early going, things actually threatened to go off the rails in a hurry for the Hawks, and honestly, that was another credit to the way that Atlanta played in this game, was that they were honestly almost getting run off the court in the first few minutes. Um, and honestly, you know, it would not have been a surprise to me if they lost this game by 20 based on that first stretch of time. So the Hawks scored on a corner three by Jamari Parker on the first trip of the game. From there, it was an immediate 12-0 run by Miami, who, who hit their first five shots. The offense wasn't disastrous during that stretch of time. There were some good looks that just didn't go in for, for Atlanta, but the defense was kind of questionable. Um, it was a 20-3 to overall run by the Heat to go up by a 20-6 to margin. In fact, Miami led by as many as, many, as many as 15 points in the first few minutes. Um, they scored 25 points in the first six minutes of the game. Um, the defense wasn't as bad as that number looks like, but if I tell you that the Hawks are down 15 points on the road in Miami within the first five minutes, you're probably going to be in deep, deep trouble. So, Again, there is some credit to be assigned to the, to the Hawks for coming back from that kind of deficit because Atlanta hit eight threes in the first quarter. Eight threes in a quarter is uh, pretty noteworthy considering the Hawks' franchise record for threes in a game is 22. So to hit eight in a quarter um, is pretty crazy. It was the most threes by any quarter in a road game in franchise, franchise history for Atlanta in the first quarter. They were still down at the end of the first, which is kind of crazy when you when you make eight threes. It was two for Hunter, three for Vince Carter, and then uh, one each from Len Parker and Kevin Herter. 
in the first quarter, but still, that was why the Hawks were able to stay in the game, because Trey Young was scoreless, and the Hawks were, were not getting stops, but the three-ball the three ball kept them alive in the first quarter. In the second quarter, things kind of ramped up a little bit in Atlanta's favor, a 10-0 run pretty early on to take the lead. There was a gorgeous possession that ended up with a corner three by DeAndre Hunter, some fantastic ball movement around um, around the perimeter from Atlanta in that, in that on that trip. And then a three by Trey Young for his first points of the game to give the Hawks a 42-41 lead. The Hawks took 23s in the first 16 minutes of this game. Lloyd Pierce likes to get threes up. I agree with that strategy wholeheartedly. It slowed down from there, but it was good to see the offense getting a lot of shots up in the early going. They hit 13 threes in the first half. That tied a franchise record for a half. Um, but the Heat closed strong at the end of the first half with, a, with an 11-4 run to take a two-point lead after Atlanta led by as many as five points late in the uh, first half. Um, after halftime, a lot of back and forth here. I will try to not spend too much time on this because, honestly, the third quarter was pretty much a lot of give and take. Um, Trey Young was fantastic early on. He scored 10 points in the first three and a half minutes of the third quarter to tie the game for Atlanta after the Heat went up by six points. Um, from there, though, Miami, Miami made a run. Atlanta made a run. Back and forth, back and forth. There was a big swing at the end of the third quarter that I wanted to point out. With uh, Kelly Olenek missing one of the worst um, little bunnies that you would ever see, I can't I can't imagine how he missed that shot in the middle of the lane, and then Jabari Parker with a three point play on the other end on the other end of the floor to tie the game at 93-93. Then Hunter hit a three to go up by three, and that was a huge stretch for Atlanta. Kind of a it was only a six zero run, but it felt like an eight zero run, and the Hawks were riding high at that point in time, hitting 18 threes through three quarters that tied the season high for a full game, which they later broke in the fourth. And offensively, things were very very good for Atlanta. Um, Honestly, from that point forward, the Hawks pushed it to a 101-93, their largest lead of the night, with a 13-0 run overall after the last six of the third quarter and the first seven of the fourth. From there, though, it settled into a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Miami scored the first, um, sorry, they scored six points in a row to get it back to two. Um, the Hawks did lead again by six a couple different times, but um, it was a lot of back and forth from there. Um, we'll fast forward now. Um, other than the fact that DeAndre Hunter scored nine points in a row for the Hawks at one point, it was kind of a breakout game for his offense in this game, which is probably the biggest positive takeaway that I want to provide to this game was that Hunter was assertive and aggressive and very, very good offensively. Good to see him kind of break out in this spot. But we'll flash forward to the last few minutes of this contest. The Hawks got a couple breaks, honestly, I thought, with the officiating and a couple of uh, weird things that happened late in the uh, fourth quarter. Bam Adebayo looked to be fouled twice and was not called with about uh, two and a half, three minutes to go. And then uh, Jimmy Butler missed a pair of layups as well uh, on the few trips before that. So a couple of nice favorable things for Atlanta in that spot. And then Butler, with 118 to go, with the uh, Hawks up by four, missed both free throws. That was kind of a break, obviously, that Hawks didn't have didn't have too much to do with. But still, Hunter misses both. Then Trey Young finds Alex Len for a layup to give them a 117-111 to 111 lead with one minute to go. Up six with a minute to go. And uh, Young, by the way, this is kind of making the rounds on the internet now, and I think it's uh, it's true from what I can see. Young was apparently seen yelling that it was over after that layup went down um, from Alex Len um, as the teams went to timeout. Um, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that Trey's yelled that. This, it'd be, I guess it would be the first time that it did not end up being true. But uh, yeah, it's something I want to at least point out there because it was definitely uh, making some national news uh, this evening that that actually happened. And from that point forward, the Heat dominated. Uh, so we'll talk about what happened after the timeout. Um, Duncan Robinson hits a three-pointer, which, uh, by the way, he hit 10 in this game for Michigan standout, and I've, I followed him 
closely for a long, long time. Um, I am a, I'm a fan of his game, but still, uh, he was unconscious in this game. He was not the only one. Miami had a lot of just crazy performances offensively in the spot, but he hits a three to 117-114, and here's where, here's where the controversial stuff comes in in terms of the way that Lloyd Pierce um, coached this game at the end of the game. Uh, candidly, I am a fan of Lloyd Pierce. I think he is good at his job. I tweeted that. People were upset with me. I don't really know why. There was a couple of weird comments, even when people like they're tangentially associated with the media talking about how the Hawks record is what it is. And it's like, guys, if you don't know what context means, context is really important here. Um, the Hawks roster has not been good in his tenure. So I don't really care about his win loss record right now. I understand this is a frustrating game and all that stuff, but with all that said, this is a bad moment for Lloyd Pierce. I think it's probably the worst moment of his career as a head coach. Um, obviously, the Hawks have had some blowout losses that you know should be assigned to the head coach as well when you don't have your team prepared to go. But execution-wise and uh, just like a late-game situation-wise, this is a bad moment from Lloyd Pierce. So, Robinson hits the three. What I didn't say earlier, and, I, and I'll say now because of the way that this, I'm going to set this up, is that Troy Young was off the court after the timeout. Now, that is defensible, in my opinion. The Hawks are up by six points with a minute to go. Trey was really bad on defense in this game. Um, worse than normal, I would say. Kendrick Nunn got to wherever he wanted to go to. So if you're up six, defense possession, the Hawks had two timeouts left. I am okay with playing Trey Young not being on the court right then. Only because you have two timeouts. So defensively, if you allow a bucket, whatever, call timeout, put Trey back in the game. If that had been what happened, no one would have been upset. At least justifiably so, because Trey is not going to help you on defense. I, I totally understand that move in a vacuum. The problem was, and Pierce later admitted this unprompted, it was actually in his opening statement of the uh, to the media after the game, that the problem was he did not call timeout. So then you're suddenly in an offensive possession that's crucial. You're only up by three, and Trey Young, no foul trouble, no injury, is not on the court with a possession where you absolutely need to score. Because if you don't score, it's a one-possession game, and that's a bad move. It's just one thing, I get that, but you just cannot have that happen. Trey Young has to be on the floor. He is by far your best offensive player. It's not even close. So if he's not on the court there, something has gone wrong, particularly when you have two timeouts, and that's what Pierce sort of owned up to um, on his own, was the fact that he should have called timeout and put Trey back in the game. So all that to say, without Trey Young on the court, the Hawks are not going to get a good shot. Bembry got blocked at the rim. You know, it was not a great possession from Bembry. It's not the first time this has happened for DeAndre, but I, I think the attention should be on the decision not to have Trey on the court, um, more so than the shot. Still not a good shot from Bembry. He's still a professional basketball player, and you want to have a better shot than that. And the guys on the court bear some responsibility, and that's worth pointing out. But he, he gets blocked, and um, from that point forward, the Heat go down and hit a tying three by Jimmy Butler. So a six-point swing in uh, three possessions, three block at the rim, and then another three by, by Butler to tie the game. Uh, Trey being on the court there is brutal. Another thing that I wanted to point out here, and I think uh, I'll, I'll shout out a couple people who have said that as well, other than me, is not my original idea to talk about this, but um, Trey sitting for defense is totally justifiable. But if you're going to do that, Vince Carter should be on the court. Uh, Vince was good offensively this game, had a bunch of shots in the first half, but defensively, Vince Carter is not good at this point in time. I understand that Lloyd Pierce and company like his communication and his leadership and all, all that stuff. I totally understand that. But um, Vince Carter should not be on the court for a defense-only possession. If you're going to treat it like offense-defense the way the Hawks did and take Trey out of the game, I, again, I understand that. But if you're going to do that, it should be Reddish on the court instead of Carter or someone else. It doesn't. I mean, Carter is not the worst defender on the team, but for instance... I know Reddish is not the greatest offensive player right now, and he's not someone you necessarily want on the court on an offense possession, but defensively, he's a flat-out better defender than Vince Carter. I understand the execution stuff there. I mean, I guess you can sort of 
talk me into the fact that you can trust Vince to do the right thing and be in the right place versus a rookie. But Reddish is just such a better defensive player that makes no, that does not hold water for me. So that's a, again sort of a little thing. But if you're going to go offense defense, then go offense defense. And uh, there's nothing more extreme that you can do offense defense than taking Trey off the court. So if you're going to do that, go all the way and take Vince off the court as well. At any rate, the Hawks allowed back-to-back threes there. The game is tied, um, and there you go. Um, after a break, there they get they get Trey back on the court uh, in a poor possession though. On the last possession of the re- of regulation for Atlanta, ends in sort of a heave. DeAndre Hunter airball shot clock driven three at the end of that, um, and the Hawks actually got lucky at the end of the fourth quarter in that they had six seconds to go. Jimmy Butler comes down and gets a great look, like a wide, basically a wide open. He, he created the space, a wide open 17, 18 footer that went down and out. Um, so. A break for Atlanta. Um, obviously, it did, not, it did not end up mattering, and I said this in the recap of the game quickly when I was kind of writing as fast as I could. In retrospect, you would have probably preferred the uh, fact that, uh, you know, you didn't even go to overtime. Maybe it would have been a little, a little bit less brutal to lose the game regulation based on the way that overtime went. But we'll fast forward. So the Hawks are granted the reprieve there. They go to overtime. Something I want to note here is that Kevin Herter hit his minutes restriction, and um, you know Lloyd clearly coached the fourth quarter based on the fact that he knew how many minutes Herter had left. They had Herter on the court to close regulation, but because of the 25-minute restriction that Herter was on, they couldn't play him in the they couldn't play him in overtime. And that is, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you that that actually changed the entire thing in the in, in overtime because the Hawks did lose this game very lopsidedly in overtime, but not having Herter on the court definitely hurts Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I'm not someone who's going to tell you that he that he should have played because, you know, the, the restrictions there for a reason. That's stuff that's above my head. That's physical training stuff. That's the training staff. Lloyd Pierce is not making that decision. So I understand not putting Herter back in there. But it was a big swing to not have Herter on the court. And you're going suddenly with a, with a weaker lineup because right now the Hawks don't have two wings that you love in that spot, having to play two ways. You know, Hunter was great in this game. He's got to be on the court there. But your other options are... You know, they went with Vince Carter as the other wing to start overtime. That was something that I would not have done either. But the other options are Reddish and Bembry and Alan Crabb. None of those guys you just absolutely love to be playing crunch time against a good team on the road. So I understand all that, but uh, worth noting that Herter would n- did not play it overtime and there was a reason for it. Um, it kind of spiraled out of, out of control. I won't go possession by possession here, but the... Um, the Hawks just couldn't score. I mean, they, they allowed a 16-0 run to open overtime, a 22-0 run overall. It was ugly. A couple of bad offensive possessions for the Hawks. They turn over a turnover by Vince Carter after a three by Duncan Robinson, and you know five points in a hurry. And suddenly you're in a hole. Suddenly you're in a hole. Alex Lynn gets an open three. I understand it's not a terrible shot, but not one you probably want in that spot, given the fact that Lynn, you know, had only taken one other three in the game, et cetera, et cetera. A three point play by Bam Adebayo to go up by ten was probably the end of it. From that point forward. They call timeout, and they go offense only with a lineup that had Crab, Vince Carter, and Parker on the floor together in the front court. Um, no chance to get stops with that unit. Um, Jabari missed both free throws to kind of end it, honestly, and then Duncan Robinson hit, hit his 10th three of the game to go up by 13, and then it was really over. It's probably already over before that, but uh, alas, there you go in terms of uh, what transpired late. So I know that's a lot of play-by-play stuff, a lot of what happened here, but it's uh, you know one of those games that, that kind of just requires a deep dive in a lot of ways. I will go big picture again here. Offensively, the Hawks did a pretty good job in this game. The overtime period makes it look worse than it was, but going into overtime, the Hawks scored at basically an elite rate in this game. Offense was not the problem throughout the contest. They still, even with the brutal overtime, finished with a 109 offensive rating. They had 30 assists on 45 made field goals. They played well offensively as a team. 
Defensively, that was not the case. Um, three guys for Miami scored 30 points or more, and none of them were Jimmy Butler. And then Butler had 20, 18, and 10. Um, so four guys basically did all the lifting for the Heat in this game, but it was enough. Uh, none just torched Young throughout the game. It wasn't like he just torched Young, but he torched everybody, but mostly Young. Um, Bam Adebayo, they had no answer for Bam. You know, he's very, very good, which is worth pointing out. But you know, Jones, Len, nobody had an answer for Bam Adebayo. Duncan Robinson making 10 threes is fluky, is fluky in some respects, but he is also an elite shooter, and most of the looks were pretty good good looks so you know it's going to happen sometimes and then Butler was just kind of Butler he wasn't incredible he had a couple of honestly he missed four free throws he had some moments that were actually not great from Butler but he played well overall and those four guys kind of beat the Hawks on their own the bench was better for Atlanta than it was for Miami that kind of kept them in the game and you know worth pointing out that for all the time that I spend talking about how bad the Hawks are with Trey Young off the court the Hawks were much better in this game with Trey Young off the court that's not actually indicative of anything looking forward other than the fact that it was actually a good sign that the Hawks were able to hold up. Now this is two games in a row with Herter as the backup point guard that the Hawks have been able to function without Young on the court. And long term, that's a big thing. Um, in this game, Trey was minus 24 in a 14-point loss. That doesn't really happen much on this team, so worth pointing out and all that stuff. So we will definitely have some individual talk about players in a moment, but I know I wanted to, again, one more time here. I said this before. I'll say it one more time before before we move on to the individual portion of this game. This is a bad close to the game for pretty much everybody involved, but especially for Lloyd Pierce. You know, I'm not a fire the coach guy. There was a lot of craziness talking about Lloyd Pierce being fired after this game. Like that's just fan stuff. I understand that, but um, it was bad. I think it was. I said this before, but this is probably the best, the worst moment of his, of his tenure as the head coach in terms of just tactical misfiring. Um, and you know, to his credit, he owned it, but, uh, you know, it shouldn't happen. You can't have a possession there with trailing off the court. And, uh, it's the little things that kind of can doom you on the biggest stage like this. And, uh, what looked to be an upset victory crumbled in a hurry. And now Miami, by the way, by the way, Miami was 10 and 0 at home coming into this game. So the Hawks could have played spoiler to that record, but they were not able to do it in this spot. So after a quick break to hear from our sponsors, we'll come back talk about the individual players and a little bit about the report from Sean Serenius. So hold on tight. All right, and we're back with the individual player stuff in this game, and I'll be quicker than I was in the first half of the podcast. My apologies for going through everything, but one of those games, man, overtime and a lot of moving parts to talk about in this spot. So individually, a couple of bright spots here. We'll get to the bench first. As I said before, the bench for the Hawks was much better than the bench for Miami. That was one of the bright spots as an overall thing. Um, we'll start with the more bit players. Bruno Fernando, only seven minutes, did not factor really much in this game. He was uh, a little bit lost um, defensively during his small portion of, of the game, but he was plus he was plus six in seven minutes. Uh, we'll kind of leave that there for now. Um, no minutes for Evan Turner. Again, this is two games in a row. I have no problem with that. I do think that Turner can help um, at times, but with everybody healthy and back, you can kind of see that they prefer Hunter to Turner in that backup point guard role. And as we said before, for months now, Turner, that's kind of all he can do offensively is kind of be on the ball. And if you don't want him to do that anymore, that kind of limits his value quite a bit. So no big surprise there. And then Parsons with the DMP as well. Alan Crabb, 22 minutes, did make a three. Uh, had a couple of nice stretches, honestly, I thought in this game. Defensively, he competed a little bit. It wasn't great, but it was a little bit better than you might expect. Seven points, two rebounds. Sorry, seven points, one rebound, two assists, a steal, and a block shot for Alan Crabb. I mentioned Vince Carter before. Defensively, it was a mess. I will say that throughout the game, um, worse than normal. You know, I'm not going to try not try to pile on Vince. It was actually fun in the first quarter. This is this was Vince's 1500th, 1500th game as an NBA player. He's one of four guys in league history to ever do that. That's very impressive. Um, Vince provided a spark early on, made three threes in short in short order. Good to see him filling it up. And uh, his last trip to Miami, so I'm not trying to pile on here. But defensively, it was a mess for Vince. But still, they have 12 points, four threes. 
four assists and three rebounds in this game. Uh, Bembry was again sort of a, sort of the fifth wing for Atlanta. This might be what we see now mo- moving forward is that Bembry is now sort of a fill-in player in the way that we kind of projected he would be or could be anyway coming into the season. He did a couple of good things defensively. Obviously, the one glaring moment was the was the shot that was blocked at the end of regulation. Not a great moment there for him, but I thought he was okay other than that. Alex Lynn was not fantastic by his recent standards. Nine points, three rebounds, did have two steals and a block shot. He was the best defensive center, pretty clearly, but still wasn't his best in this spot. Didn't, didn't make a three, which is good to see from him. Cam Reddish had a couple of uh, nice moments, I thought. A couple of nice catch-and-shoot threes. In the first half, I thought he was pretty shaky. He was better after halftime. Defensively, he was uh, pretty solid, I thought. 14.7 rebounds for Cam. Um, not one of his best games, but not one of his worst either. He was kind of in the middle, and I thought he had some nice moments along the way, particularly with one, one finish and a couple of catch-and-shoot threes that he was able to shoot with confidence. To the starting lineup in this spot, Kevin Herter was fairly quiet, but you could definitely see still the impact that he is making on the roster. He started alongside DeAndre Hunter in this game. I, th- I have a feeling that's going to be the alignment now. This is going to be the starting lineup, I would imagine, barring injury until John Collins comes back. You know, obviously Collins will be in there sooner rather than later. But they went with Young, Herter, Hunter, um, Parker, and Jones in this game. You know, I have my issues with Jones ahead of Alex Lynn, but at least I understand it based on age and all that stuff. But, you know, the other four guys, it was probably the right move to go ahead and go with your two best wings, uh, being Hunter and Herter, and that's what the, that's what they're going to be doing, it looks like, ahead of time with uh, Reddish, um, Carter, Reddish Crab and uh, Benbury batting three minutes off the bench. But Herter, seven assists, nine, nine points. He had a really good first half, was quieter after that, I said before, but the minutes restriction kind of held him back here. He would have been nice to have Herter on the court in the, in the overtime period. I wonder if it'll go up, but on a back-to-back, on Wednesday, we'll talk about that more a little bit later on the podcast. But um, I can't imagine him playing a ton more on Wednesday night because it's back to back and a grueling one at that. So we'll see how much uh, how much longer of a leash he has by Friday when the Hawks come back home against Indiana. Damian Jones, a quiet night. Five fouls led to that. Thirteen minutes of play, uh, only had one point, two rebounds. Um, kind of a non-factor based on the foul trouble. But Bam Adebayo kind of had his way with Damian when, when they were on the court together. Uh, Jabari Parker had a couple of nice moments, 16.7 rebounds, a couple of, you know, nice offensive plays from Jabari. Defensively, it was a mess, as you might expect, but, uh, you know, generally okay for the most part. Um, Defensively, again, though, you know, tough to cover up for him all the time. Hunter, you know, this is his best offensive game of his career, just scoring 28 points on 11 of 17 from the floor, 5 of 10 from three. He was aggressive, 6 of 7 from the floor, um, from two-point range, I should say. And that was uh, him attacking the rim. And it was good to see him do that, finishing through contact, kind of just being um, physical and aggressive. And that's what you want to see from Hunter. The shooting from three, obviously 5 of 10 is pretty good in its own right. Four four rebounds, three assists for DeAndre. I thought he was quite good. Um, defensively, it was not his best work, I will say. Um, you know, I'm pro de- I'm pro Hunter on defense. But this is definitely more of an offensive game than defensive one for Hunter. But still a lot of positives to take away from the way that he played. And then finally, Trey Young, uh, 21 points, 9 assists for Trey, 4 rebounds. He was minus 24, as I said before, 7 of 19 from the floor, 3 of 11 from 3. Not his best offensively, still made a, still made a lot of plays and still showed his um, his ceiling a lot with, with the 10 points early in the third quarter, kind of getting the Hawks going almost on his own during that stretch. Um, and the Heat were very, very, very aggressive in double-teaming him and flashing at him and, you know, blitzing him. There were lots of aggressive coverages. He made the right play, for the most part, in the entire game. Didn't have his, didn't have his uh, shooting going necessarily in this spot, but I thought Trey was fine. He didn't, he didn't play poorly. Obviously, you know, there'll be some 
talk about the way that he was on the court at the end of the fourth quarter. He was asked about that in the postgame interview and kind of gave a, a pretty clear no answer. Uh, he said, I don't know, kind of shook his head quite a few times. Um, he did not throw anybody under the bus there, but it was very, very apparent to me anyway. I'll, I'll be the one interpreting. This is my opinion, not what he said. Um, he was not happy about not playing at the end of the fourth quarter. I'm pretty sure about that, given the response. If you want to find that, it's on the Fox Sports Southeast um, Hawks Twitter page. But uh, yeah, he seemed pretty not happy with that. And then actually just tweeted Welp after the game. That was his full tweet. I'm not sure what to make of that necessarily, but I'm sure there's some frustration there. Um, And, you know, as we get going here, uh, transition briefly, I'm going to spend a lot less time on this than I was going to, but there was a report on Monday that I want to touch on quickly now so we can move off of it uh, from Sean Serrania, talking about the frustration that is mounting within the Hawks organization. Um, My top line thoughts on this, and you can go back and find the report if you'd like to, um, were that the Hawks at the time of the report, um, by the way, the reporting was that there was like some sort of confrontation or something like that on Wednesday night. Um, and we'll come back to that in a second. But at that point in time, the Hawks had lost 17 of 20 games and they lost 10 in a row briefly before that. Um, so obviously frustration being there would not be a huge surprise um, in any way, shape or form there. I've heard nothing on my end that would discourage me in terms of the way that team has been handling everything internally. I'm, I mean, I'm not there tonight, so maybe there's some frustration behind the scenes. Maybe something happened tonight. I'm not sure. But this is all coming from Monday night, sorry, from Monday afternoon from Sham Sharania. Um, There was a report about, um, in that same report, about getting Trey Young help. Um, I'm going to read the exact quote to you right now from Shams. Um, He says, and I'm quoting here, a high-ranking team official was seen telling Young on Wednesday that, that the team would be getting him some help on the roster soon, end quote. Quickly here, Travis Schlank was in Australia, so it was not Travis Schlank. I don't make too much of that, honestly, because of the fact that you know Collins is coming back. It could have been some something about the trades or something like that, but I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of expecting trades right now. Obviously, this is a bad spot, and I am I've been very clear. This is not a roster that's that's set up to win right now without John Collins, and especially without Herder and Collins for that for that stretch of time. But you know, too much made of that. I thought it was pretty overblown. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out here quickly on this topic. And again, I was going to do much more on this, but a lot of things happened on Tuesday night. But um, in the reporting from Shams, he he describes a quote, emotional locker room scene involving Trey Young, end quote. For what it's worth, Chris Kirshner, the athletic, who also works at the same place Shams does, um, has said on Twitter a couple of different times now that there was no heated exchange and that he would not have used the word emotional to describe that from the way that his sources were telling him. While we're here, I do think that some of the aggregation to that story has been pretty irresponsible. Some of the way that it was framed on Twitter from some people was not great, and I think that's uh, kind of made it a bigger thing than it actually was. A couple of them were referring to it as a heated exchange, which was not in the reporting. Um, Shams used the word emotional, but even then, Chris um, and his sources were pushing back on that. So, again, honestly, I would have said this even before this uh, game, all that stuff that happened. I thought it was pretty overblown as a general rule, particularly with the frustration stuff among you know, the front office. You know, Travis Schlenk said on the record last week that the team's internal projections were at 30-31 wins. The team could certainly get there still, even with all the stuff that happened with Collins' injury and the schedule. I'm sorry, Collins' suspension, the schedule, her injury, all that stuff. They're still probably projected to win somewhere in the 29-30 win range. So nothing really to worry about there. Too much there. And the front office, from what I understand, and again, this is just me you know, hearing certain things, I don't think there's any frustration from the front office. Um, ownership's a different animal that I don't know anything about, but uh, other than that, I got nothing else on that. And again, my top line thought here is that it was pretty overblown to the point where I did not even write about it at PeacetreeHoops.com, um, which I normally would for aggregation purposes, that kind of stuff. I normally touch on some, on a story like this, but um, it just didn't feel well, re- you know, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It, the story was not a massive story. It was in a notes column and it was kind of written 
weirdly, and some of the uh, wording was kind of strange. So I didn't think it was as definitive or noteworthy or controversial as some people did. So I kind of left it alone, but I got so many questions on it that I wanted to at least talk about it here. If you made it to the podcast this far, then congratulations. You uh, have now heard me talk about it for a few different minutes. But again, I was going to talk about it for probably 15 minutes, and now it's going to be about five because of the fact that the game was so crazy in this game. But, you know, frustration might boil over a little bit in this spot. I would not be surprised by that. This is one of those games where it's kind of boils from frustration. But, um, you know, the sky is falling, people. I am not as worried about those kind of people right now because, you know, Trey Young want to get traded and all this stuff. It's like, guys, just relax. It's it's early in the season. This is a team that um, is not set up to win right now. But, you know, circling all the way back to tonight's game, they should have won, honestly. Up six, one minute to go, and uh, just couldn't just deny us cute from head coach on down. So there you go. Last thing on tonight's podcast, and we are nearing the 30-minute mark, so my apologies on the longer solo show. It's a lot of talking for me. Um, the Hawks have a tough spot in a big way on Wednesday in Chicago, even before this game went to overtime. I know the Bulls stink, by the way. I'm well aware of that. The Bulls are not good. I was wrong about the Bulls. I was higher on them than their actual performance so far this year. But um, NBA people know this very well, and it's, it's a talking point. There are schedule losses in the NBA. Um, one of those was the Houston game at the end of the road trip for, for Atlanta, and obviously Houston's a lot better than Chicago, so um, I'm not saying that they're comparable, but third road game in four nights for the Hawks. It was a late tip in Miami on Tuesday because of the original TNT scheduling. Then it goes to overtime. They're not going to get to Chicago until 2 or 3 in the morning, I would imagine, uh, and then the Hawks um, also have a, have a disadvantage against the Bulls, who because the Bulls, the Bulls played at home on Monday, so they had Tuesday off with no travel. So if there were if there was ever a spot where you were probably going to lose to Chicago, it is Wednesday. Obviously, the Hawks could rise up. The Hawks are, I think, as good as the Bulls even right now without Collins. Um, but on the road, Atlanta will be the underdog. They should be the underdog in this game based on the rest of, on, on the rest stuff and just the, the circumstances involved here. So we'll talk about that game after. It actually happens on Wednesday, but just keep that in mind that this is, I, I understand that there will definitely be a fan reaction, uh, even more so after Tuesday's game, if the Hawks go out and lose by 10 or something like that to the Bulls. I'm just going to say this right now. The Bulls are not great, but if they lose to the Bulls on Wednesday, you should not be surprised because of all the advantages I'm talking about. And uh, the reaction will probably be a little bit overblown because Chicago, I know they're not very good, but they have a lot of advantages against this Hawks team um, after three games and four nights all on the road with travel. So a lot's taken on the podcast. I was critical. I was higher than some people are. My overarching message at the end of the game would be that people... You know, get out your frustrations. I totally understand that, but uh, no one's getting fired. No one, no one should be fired. I think Lloyd Pierce is pretty good at his job. I think the roster is what it is at this point in time. With Collins back, we'll see what that what the, what the roster actually looks like. But a lot of positive signs, a lot of negative signs at the end of this game, and a game that probably should have been won. But in the lost column, it goes: the Hawks are six and eighteen, and they'll look to right the ship again on Wednesday. Still winnable in Chicago, even even with all the circumstances, they're still able to win that game. So if they go out and do that, um, kind of cancel this one out. It'd be very nice to see. But we'll have a new podcast after that. I I tried to answer as many questions as I could about the Shams report on Twitter. If you have more questions about that, I know I kind of gave that short shrift tonight because of all the game stuff. So if you have a question or a clarification, I try to answer everybody on Twitter. I if I don't get to you, my apologies, but I really do try to be as engaging as possible, as pleasant as possible, and I will deal with you if you are. Uh, what I would say is, um, what's the way that I should put this? If you are respectful, I will be respectful back. If you're going to yell and scream and do stuff like that, then I will start not answering you. But uh, for the most part, I try to get back to everybody, and uh, hopefully you guys appreciate that level of engagement. So 
All that to say, please subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. You made it this far. I really appreciate it. But please leave five-star feedback as well. Tell a friend about the show. And if nothing else, we'll be back right here in the same place after the game on Wednesday in Chicago. So stay tuned for that.